Welcome back to Single Minded, everyone. I'm your host, Hannah First. And I'm your co-host, Linda. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi. Now, today... We are chatting to Phoebe. She's a journalist from the UK. And I actually found her because I was searching things about dating over. F- you actually suggested dating over 50 because you've got friends that listen I've to the podcast. I've got a few friends. That's right. Yeah. So I was sort of doing research, came across some of her articles, which were. I just loved her articles about dating and sex over 50. But then the conversation took a little bit of a turn and we got onto the topic of grief about not having children. So it's a little bit about dating, a little bit about sex over 50, but a good chunk of the interview is actually about something that I don't think many people talk about openly. So it ended up being incredibly interesting and had quite a big effect on me and I haven't really stopped thinking about it since then. I do just want to say on dating in your 50s. Yes. Because Bibi has described it as being a bit tricky because people who are older have less possibilities. You're not out and about as much. Mm. But so I just want to give a little plug to <laughs> Pause Bar where Dad <laughs> plays every, that's Rob, plays every Sunday afternoon in a band. And as you yes. know, Hannah, because you often come, the crowd is I mainly come. over 50s. I took a video the other week and put it on my Instagram of all of the women. Dan- they just love it. They love it. They love to dance. It's such a great vibe for a bit of an older crowd. And yes. there's always like some, and I'm like, are they a couple? You're like, no, nah, they're not a couple. And there's like, the last time I came, they were like a guy and a like an older man and a woman together <laughs> dancing, but old style, like, you know, swinging kind of dancing. Yes. Well, it's a lot of friendly singles. I mean, there are some yeah. couples and it's just people that love music and want to dance. Love and to it's dance. definitely not a pickup joint. No. So if you are female, you can go on your own and be 100% comfortable. It's all over by 7.30, just in time yep. to get home for your Sunday night movie. Yep. Good tip, mum. Now, I wanted to say, Hannah, I know you're living your best life, but (laughs) unfortunately I found an NLH and for those that you didn't hear that last time, that's a new local hottie. I had a meeting with a guy from our council (laughs) about an issue that I was very unhappy with. So I went in all fired up, but I was completely disarmed because he was tall. He had What a, was his role at the council? He's in engineering really. So okay. he's got a lovely beard, beautiful mm. eyes, and even better, he is Irish. <laughs> and at the end of the meeting, all I could do was... It sounds like Colin Farrell. A little bit. And at the end, I just wanted to say... I don't know, somehow if you got a partner and then I thought, well, if he's single and I line up a blind date with you, that's just a complete conflict of interest at the moment. Yes. So I'm going to wait before I do some more research. But Do you have his name? Yes. <laughs> have you got his email address? Yes. So you can sort all your issues out with the council and then wait a issue. few months. But in between that, Dad and I have been dealing with an Irish guy and he is a tradie. He has intense blue eyes and Dad... Who, who's this? No, I'm not telling you. Dad has already asked him. No! And he is single and he was interested in meeting you. Thoughts? Well, <laughs> I do trust your instincts on if I'd like... Or No, actually, I don't know if I trust your instincts, but, I mean, I'm open for anything. All right, well... You know, yep. more on that later. What did Dad say? 
I wasn't there, but I said I like him and I like his eyes and I like his <sighs> accent. Do you reckon he's single? And Dad said, don't worry, I'll find out. And he did. <laughs> so was- Oh, God. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into the interview and we'll be back to chat more about it, Linda, at the end. Phoebe Lynch is a journalist, writer, and broadcaster, and she also co-hosts the podcast, Good Sex, Bad Sex. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd love to hear for the, all the listeners, tell me about yourself. I'd also really like to know about this acronym, WIP, which I <laughs> read about on your website. Do you know, I think that might be my proudest moment. <laughs> my most, that's my legacy. How tragic is that? Yeah, I don't know what to say. Pisces, Virgo rising. I'm a Londoner. I now live in Hove, which is a really beautiful city on the South Coast. I'm single. I don't have children. I don't know how all this has happened, but I seem to be writing about this all the time, which is fine. And yeah, Whips, I was asked by Stella Magazine, one of the magazines I contribute to, to I, I was talking to the features editor and I was saying, since I hit my 50s, Actually, it started before, but it was very noticeable since I hit my 50s that the men that approached me were younger. Mm. And we were talking about it. She said, you need to write about this. And I was like, yeah, all right. (laughs) And then she sent me like a PS email and said, oh, I really hate the word cougar. And I thought, actually, Mm. yeah, I do. It's really, it's kind of predatory, isn't it? And I think no one one comes out well in it. The women seem a bit, yeah, predatory and a little bit kind of, I don't know, a bit sinister. And the men seem like prey, you know, like Mm. to be caught. And it just felt a bit naff. And I was staying at a friend's house and I was looking after a beautiful cat. (laughs) I was stroking the cat. And then I suddenly thought, oh, stop it. You know, it comes to you. And I was like, yes. (laughs) Whips, so whips, women who are hot, intelligent, and in their prime. Come <laughs> <Love> on. <it. laughs> or, or Primark if times are hard. Do you have Primark in Australia? No, we don't, but I know, yeah. Primark, yeah, Primark's kind of like a low-budget store here. So, yeah, so I came up with whips, and it really took off, that piece, maybe because people did want an acronym that was kind of a little bit sexier and a bit more everyone's positive in the equation as opposed to Mm. being a bit too negatives equals nap. Yeah. So yeah. So whips went, whips went worldwide. It was a cracking result if I can. Yeah. I've read quite a few of your stories about dating in your fifties. How has dating changed for you and how is it sort of, you've spoken really positively about it? Well, it's a bit double-edged. So I think dating in your fifties is tricky because you know, I guess it's just like it's maths. Most people are taken. Mm. <laughs> you know, so when you're in your 50s, who you can choose from or, who you know, possibilities are not as great. I'm in my 30s and I feel like you're more likely, my friend calls it the second wave, the wave <laughs> of divorces. Do you know what? I've been holding out for that and that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> that hasn't happened. <laughs> I haven't encountered that. Okay. Well, I think, <laughs> do you know what? I think that part of the problem is we don't meet in real life anymore. Mm. even before lockdown even before this happened we weren't just so that a friend of a friend wouldn't introduce you you wouldn't be in a bar or a club or somewhere party and meet someone I guess because you're the problem when you're older is where you can meet people not only the number of people available is lessened but where you can meet people because my mates if they're if they're married their friends are married you know Mm. and we don't all go to parties anymore really do you know what I mean? It's like your social mm. life. 
doesn't get worse, but it closes down a little bit. So it's not like we're all at the pub on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, you know, and you'll meet someone there. That just doesn't happen. So there's less people to choose from and less places to meet them. And because you're not meeting people in real life, it then takes you to online. And then when you meet people online, the problem of dating in your 50s is a lot of people have a cutoff point of 50. Ah, so okay. I, if I and I'm honest about my age, yeah. So if I'm on a dating site and I'll put my age, and I'll also put some like you know some nice photos and kind of be funny in the profile and hope I sound good. People don't even look because their cutoff is fifty, so you're not even in their search range. So the only people you get, you're lucky if you get two matches a week, right? So it's really okay, odd. it's like you're deemed undesirable just because of your age on paper. Okay, by which I mean online. But actually, of course, if in real life, when you meet people, 50, I don't know what 50 means to you in your head. But when I was in my 30s, 50 felt a long, long way away and not good. My mum co-hosts this podcast with me and she's 59. And so she's super young and vibrant and dances. So for <laughs> me, my parents are both like she's turning 60, my dad's 60. So to me, I don't see 50s or yeah. 60s as a negative just because like I see them. Yeah. It's really odd, isn't it? Because And also I just find that really disappointing because, well, disappointing, it's horrible. You know, I don't want to be judged negatively because of my age because mm. I'm a million things other than my age and also my age isn't an issue. My age means I'm mm. confident and I'm experienced and I'm mature. I mean, I'm making myself sound brilliant. <laughs> I'm, obviously, <laughs> I'm obviously straddling bonkers and neurotic wreck the rest of the time. But, you know, it's not an unattractive age. It shouldn't be, but just, just in people's heads it seems to be sometimes but saying that dating is better because you don't put up with any rubbish you kind of yeah. are gone are the days where I'll sit for an entire day because I'm like oh <laughs> bloody hell I've got to do yeah it's a waste of lip gloss if I don't now I'm like yeah, yeah okay but you know I'm not yeah. horrible or anything but you know I'm not gonna I think you're choosier you're pickier it, 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 even though there aren't many options <laughs> you're um you're pickier so where do you sort of like meet the options? Are they on still on dating apps? You mentioned younger guys. So <laughs> what's happened for me, if I've written about dating, then I, I kind of get <laughs> sometimes get younger men approaching me on Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> and WhatsApp and, you know, blah, blah. But most of my dates actually, I'd say actually for the last 10 years, as we've gone more and more online, it's been less from dating apps and more from Twitter. Oh. Yeah. But it's more, I'll tell you what it is, because it's not ostensibly a dating site, <laughs> it's just a really good way. It's like of, a banter place. Yeah, you get to know people. You get to know their politics and their humour yeah. and their interests and whether they're a nice person. I mean, I know some people have internet online identities that they've honed. Yeah. But, you know, you, you seem to get um, a fuller picture of the person, I think. And then, I mean, if someone starts following you and then, then slides into your DMs instantly, then it's like, yeah, that's not happening. But, you know, if it's someone you kind of built up a friendship with, so I've, that's mm. how I've been dating. That's how I've dated. I like that. I've not heard that for dating advice before. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote about sex in your 50s. You said sex in your 50s is about freedom. Yeah. I would so love to hear about this. I think it's because you're not as hormonally driven. You're still, I think, I think there's, that's a fallacy that people don't have a sex drive in their 50s. I think that's a fallacy. And if they don't have a sex drive, there's things you can do about that. But that whole feeling of, you know, you don't want it, that's not true. But you're not as driven by hormones as when you're young. And you also, you're not kind of, you know, 
this is these are all cliches and stereotypes, but you're not out drinking as much and blah, blah, blah. So you mm. make less kind of partner choice mistakes. Mm. <laughs> and even if it's just a one night stand <laughs> partner choice. So you kind of have the freedom of not having the, the guilt stroke, horror stroke, whatever you're going to feel the next day. So there's that freedom. There's also the freedom to just do what you want to do mm. and hopefully have the confidence and experience to be able to say what you want and how you want it and what you don't want. When I was younger, I got myself in really now I like, I'm like if like if my niece has got in situations that I was in I'd, I'd be horrified like really dodgy sexual situations and again along the lines of consent when the me too movement happened I was like all oh, right and then I was like yeah oh my god you know and I thought of several mm. several things that happened I just thought they were and I know people say different times but no Mm. we're still humans and we're still hardwired in the same way whatever time we've been brought up in some really kind of dodgy things happen and I just think that I wouldn't let it happen now so mm. it's it's the confidence and freedom of expectation from other people that allows you to kind of have sex what you want and when I was younger again it's the freedom of not having still your bloody repertoire when I was younger <laughs> I'd do it all just to, kind of, <laughs> just to keep someone interested Mm. do you know what I mean mm -hmm. to keep to, you know to come back which is such a terrible thing to say but I think a lot of people do it and when you're younger as well and I'd be like you know oh, do this do this and oh my god and they're like you know blah, blah, you know and it's sex was so about them and it was you know nice it was about me as well and I'm not saying I I'm selfish in the bedroom now but it's it's a mutual thing now <laughs> so it's like freedom from the crap around sex it's like, it's like there's a purity to it. You really do what you want to do when you want to do it with the person you want to do it with or the people you want to do it with. And I think you learn the value of it yeah. more when you're older. So I joke about it, nothing ever happens, but, you know, that's a little bit of putting it on. <laughs> but, you know, it, it means more now. That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? And also there's the freedom of, um, and this again goes back to the whips thing of, you know, some of the reasons why younger men find older women attractive is you're not going to get pregnant. Yeah. And that kind of, do you know what I mean? That seems to free up people's brains for some reason. <laughs> That's really weird. It's like, even if, you know, there's no real reason why you have to get pregnant whenever you have sex anyway, you know, you can always mm. you know, stop that. I kind of think it's really exciting. And there was, I think it was Lumen, the dating app for over 50s. I think it was Lumen. If it wasn't, I apologize, who did a survey saying, 52%, I'm really bad with stats, but something like 52% of, of, of over 50s having the most adventurous sex of their lives. Mm. And I love that. And the reason behind that is, again, they've had the courage to leave relationships they maybe don't want to be in. They're mm. choosing people that they want to be with. They're making decisions that are for them as well, not just for someone else. But also, physically, for a lot of people, penetrative sex is harder when they're older for men and women. And so they're kind of, thinking outside of, I hate to use the word box in this context, but thinking outside of the box, <laughs> if you will. And they're, um, so they're trying other things. And then, mm. and again, if they've had kids, the kids might have left home. It's just like, it, it feels like a perfect sex storm of like mm. maybe a bit more time, a bit less kind of home pressure and just time to kind of 
just enjoy it. And it's like a breathing out. Oh, that's, that's a way of describing it. I think sex when you were younger was very taut and very, oh, yeah, da, 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 da. it's because it's, it's all like you're kind of fight or flight. And you're really kind of working on your nerves. <laughs> when you're older, I think you just breathe out. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to this. Sounds great. Yeah, it sounds good, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I did actually want to ask you because you also mentioned in that article about, I guess, your body and how you feel about your body. And then I've, I also have seen you written about being happier in your skin over 50. Yeah. What's that journey been like for you? Well, long. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was, I've always had issues with my weight. So there was always that side of it going on. So when I was, I think when I was about 18, I guess, I'd start, you know, I would put on weight. So I've always been up and down yo-yoing with my weight. And so that's always been like an issue for me. And I remember when I thought I looked my best would have been like 35, I guess. And I was, I was underweight. I'd really like lost loads. I'm almost five foot one. <laughs> and I'd gone to under eight stone, which is very, you know, very slim. And I thought I looked amazing. And then I'd have, but I'd have friends ring up going, did you eat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, people, you know, it, was, it wasn't that great. And I really got into that mindset of skinny is great and blah, blah, blah. That changes as you get older. That changed for me in my 40s, I think, actually. And now, let's just say I'm not under eight stone and I've got a tummy and, you know, but I kind of don't care. Mm. And I, again, it's that whole thing of just like knowing your worth. And I just, it just, also, when you get older, you learn that the only people that really care about that in, in the bedroom, let's say there's you and one other person in the bedroom, the only person that's worried about your stomach is you. Mm. The other person doesn't yeah. care. It's about attitude. If you're the person showing your, your stretch marks and your cellulite, you're the one bringing that to the party. Mm. <laughs> and you're the one that's obsessing about it. I don't think people care. Sexy, I mean, I'm gonna, this is such a cliche, but it's so about attitude. I bet you've met a mean people that you kind of, on paper, don't tick the kind of, yeah, you know, perceived beauty box. <laughs> yeah, and then, the, but there's something really something sexy about their confidence or about a hundred percent. I completely agree. It's I think attitude's the right word because confidence isn't quite the right word because yeah. they can be really arrogant, confident people that is not yeah. sexy. But it's I like the word like it's an attitude. It's attitude, and it's like that. Yeah, I mean, I just and I think you know as well when you're older, you kind of know there's a power to it. Mm-hmm. And like with with whips, I wrote it about relationships and sex, but I think it the that attitude again crosses across work and friend relationships. It's like you kind of just don't take any crap anymore. Mm. There's a real freedom in that. Mm. We're talking freedom. There's a real freedom. I love that expression of like that. You know what people think about you is no is not your business. Mm. You know I love that. And I'm saying that because I'm actually, I'm really a super sensitive person. So I, I don't like people not liking me. I don't, I don't get, but I also have perspective with it now. And I'm just like, you know, whatever. Mm. I know I look great, you know, and I don't mean that arrogantly, but I know, mm. I, you know, I don't look horrible and I know I, I feel happy in my skin and, you know, I know some people find me attractive and, you know, so it's like, I don't, I don't feel invisible. Mm. And I think people worry that's going to happen. I don't think that happens. I think they they really do. I think they do. I've heard women, I guess probably it's something you start to think about in your 30s is the feeling invisible as you get older. I love to hear that. I love to hear that from someone that that's not 
your experience at all. Do you know what I think it is as well? There wasn't it a quote, was it Marion Monroe said that, you know, someone said to her, don't you just get mobbed whenever you walk out in the street? And she went, no, I just like, if I'm Marilyn Monroe, then I get mobbed. So i.e. if she puts on that persona and she does the wiggle and she walks, then people see it. She chooses to, to kind of pull that back. People mm. don't see that. You know, you know that walk of shame the next morning mm-hmm. <laughs> and suddenly <laughs> everyone's checking you out. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's attitude, isn't it? Mm. That's yeah. not to prove that you've got that kind of post-coital glow. That's just like, you know, yeah, that's me. I'm walking around. I'm doing my thing. I've done my thing. <laughs> they experience my thing. They're all about my thing. And other people want some of the thing. It's like mm. people just, you know, drawn to it. And there's something about that. Yeah, the invisibility thing, I think everyone is worried about that. But I don't think that has to be the case. Mm. Yeah. So I haven't really made a decision yet on children. It can be a really confusing time trying to sort of figure it out. But you've actually written about other people's reactions to your you being single and being childless, and you've said it can be really demeaning. I would love to hear more about your experiences with the judgment you faced as well as um, the grief you've spoken about about not having children. The single thing is interesting. So I'll tell you what happens when people stop asking you if you're single if you're seeing someone once you get to a certain age that was my experience so after like about 45 people stopped asking me so people just assume i'm not with someone now that's people that know me i've never really been bothered about someone asking if i'm single or not i've never really noticed that's been i mean i've had people go do you get married no oh people don't know what to say and i'm like okay whatever that's your problem but because that's not my achilles People can say what they want about that. It's never really touched any nerve, but not having children is my Achilles. I've written about this a lot. And when I write about this, it's very, it's an unbelievable grief mm. for me. So I'm not saying that would be, you know, if you make chose to decide not to have children. I didn't not want children. I wanted children. I just didn't meet anyone. So that's where the single comes in. That's where the issue was. It's called social infertility, which I'm sure you agree is very sexy and should go on every uh, dating app. <laughs> but social infertility means you just didn't meet someone circumstances didn't happen and that's kind of you know and that has its own cruelty so yeah so I didn't have children and for me that's a visceral pain and it's you have a visceral Mm. pain on having a child because you don't have just that love you know that feeling that fulfillment that we're told is the love Mm. you know Beyonce it's the greatest show on earth which is not terribly helpful when people say stuff like that and it's you know for me it's what I wanted and what I thought I would do I always thought I'd have one child Frankie it was going to be his or her name or their name and there's no lineage and there's no I don't know you just don't have that you know it's just it's for me it was a, a physical and biological and emotional and mental and everything need and urge and therefore loss and grief I didn't have it so it's hit every level what I didn't expect was to have a pain that's not as painful but is infuriating and and almost as galling in its own way is what Jodie Day who's the founder of Gateway Women which is a forum for people who are childless not by choice what she calls pronatalism And that's worshipping at the altar of parenthood, that as a mother world, that hardworking families where people that don't have children are dismissed. And 
it's so painful it's so painful that not only do you have that visceral pain of not having the baby that that you wanted that you know that you would have just loved with all your heart and who would have hopefully loved you and it just would have given you that that feeling you're then deemed to be a piece of shit by society you don't count you're nothing there's a, a politician over here called andrea ledson and um she Theresa may our former pm there was a leadership battle and Ledson's case was that she would be a better leader of the Conservative Party because she actually had a tangible stake in the future because she had children. Mm. So because she had kids, she cared about the future because if you don't, you know, there's, there's a TV show over here and um, they introduced a piece about Alan Kurdi, who was the Turkish toddler who was tragically drowned at sea and his you know poor body was washed up on a coast and the tv show over here had scored an exclusive with his aunt at an interview and they preceded the interview with an announcement that if you're a parent you might find this upsetting because yeah as a non-parent that was the highlight of my week are you kidding me and it's just that belief that you 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 don't care you don't understand. And what I'll put out there is I'm more compassionate because I'm not a mother, because I understand what it's like to go through that pain and what it's like to be judged by that. And it's so dismissive. And it's, it's I've been at a funeral and someone's come up to me, so did you get married? And I'm like, no. Oh, well, did you have kids? No. Oh, oh well, well done anyway. It's not for everyone. I've had people say to me, oh, you know, you look after my kids, you know, for a week, you have them for a weekend, that'll stop you wanting children. It's so dismissive. It's, it's disenfranchised grief. Jodie Day again calls it that. And it's true because it's not acknowledged. And the problem with um, not acknowledging grief is then it stays. I do not like being part of this club. <laughs> and I write about this a lot. And I want, I've, I've always thought, like, why, do, why do I write about this? Because it's so painful to me. You know, it's the tragedy of my life. And again, I'm hoping that's not how I'll feel about it forever. I don't want to live a life enduring grief, as Diana Attil says. But it's just, it is an, an ex extraordinary, yeah. And I was like, why do I write that? Why do I write about this? And I thought it was part of my process. And actually, I realized why I write about it, again, the most personal thing about me is so people who love me will understand it because people don't know what to say. People don't know what's doing. I don't blame them for that, but I do blame them after someone like me has opened up and talked to them about it because you can't just say, you know, I don't know what it's like to have a divorce, but I imagine it's painful and I imagine you'd need support. It's as simple as that, but people don't, there was a, a columnist over here who wrote a feature, um, an agony aunt reply to someone who got in touch with us. This woman said, I'm approaching 50 and I'm, you know, I just feel so sad that I didn't have children. And, you know, what's my role next? And that's, that's a real part of it as well. It's like, you know, what's your role when you're hitting your 70s and your 80s and your 90s? I'm imagining it's easier to approach dying and death when you've lived a life, mm. when you feel that you've lived the life you should have had. And if you haven't lived that life, it must just be, you can't, uh, I don't know, because you, you, there's no lineage, you're not leaving a legacy. And the, these are in the most basic terms I'm talking about here, because of course, intellectually, I know that's not true, mm. but emotionally, that's where, it, that's my worry. But intellectually, friendship is legacy. 
any relationship is legacy written word is legacy you know if you've ever said a joke that people repeat three times as legacy you know but intellectually i know that but emotionally that's where it feels and hopefully that will change so this woman wrote in saying that i'm nearly 50 and i'm feeling really depressed and i you know i wish i'd had a baby and blah 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 and the agony aunt said to her what you need to do is write a list of everything you've got and then go on a cruise with your toy boy actually use the word toy boy mm. go on a cruise with your toy boy and think about what did she say think about the money you've got that you you know you would have spent if you were a parent so i wrote to her and i said what you've just done is is the equivalent of me saying to you i'm sorry your child just died but what you can do now is but look on the bright side you've got that room now free you can make it into a gym it's that crass it's that painless and the core of that i think was because the agony aunt didn't believe it was a real grief now, part of the problem about pronatalism is because people big up motherhood so much, you're suddenly, you're suddenly compassionate, you're suddenly a deity. No, you gave birth. You may be a fabulous human being, but you giving birth doesn't make you the fabulous human being. That doesn't make you compassionate. It doesn't make you anything. You gave birth. Part of the problem with pronatalism for parents, mothers, fathers, and non-parents is you're told how it should feel. So for a parent, if you don't feel that about your child, or it's not as smooth or as magical or romantic as you think it's gonna be, you think you've failed, you think you've done something wrong, you're also stuck in a situation that you may be not be happy in. If you haven't got children, you think you're missing out on the most extraordinary, beautiful thing on earth. And how do you move on from that? So actually this worshiping at the altar of motherhood and parenthood doesn't serve anyone. Because I wouldn't call myself child-free because I'm not. I don't find myself liberated. I find myself imprisoned by grief. So I, I'm childless. But there are people that are child-free. And even that with pronatalism, if you, if you chose not to have children, people that choose to not have children, it's like there's something wrong with them. There's like some emotional disconnect. There's a gene missing. <laughs> you know, there's a compassion gene missing. And that's none of that's true. That we shouldn't be judged by... Our, our worth shouldn't be whether we procreated or not, you know, whether we produced or not, but it, it kind of is. And when it gets dangerous is when the, the narrative is that it's the most amazing thing on earth. Mm. And it might be, and my fear is that it is, and I would, didn't have that, and therefore what, what's the point? But I don't want to believe that. And also I know parents who in their quiet moments will say they wish they hadn't had children. You know, it's... It's painted as something very black and white, and I believe it's it's lots of shades of grey and also rainbow colours in there. Yeah, I'd really love to say to people if they do want to read this stuff on pronatalism that I've written, bblinch.com, all my stuff's on there, and it's I love people reading it because it is really it is you know it's very revealing about me and it makes me feel very vulnerable, but it also makes me proud that if I have changed anyone's attitude about this or how they will respond to people. That's maybe why I did it as well. Yeah, wow. I've um, really got goosebumps over that chat. The grief about not having children is not something women speak so openly about. Thank you so much for your honesty. What you're doing is really helping a lot of women, I'm sure, who are unable to share this with the people around them. So I'm really grateful. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're so welcome. What a treat to be asked on. Thank you. I just wanted to say, Linda, that before you kind of give your 
feedback on yes, it all. Yes. You and I, since we listened to this episode, or since since I did the interview and sent you the recording, you and I have spoken a lot about this topic. Like it's obviously had quite an impact on you and me. Correct. What are your thoughts? Well, I decided that I, because I didn't fully understand it, and I wondered if that was everyone's experience, that huge loss that she feels. So I have talked to a couple of my friends who haven't had children, because I've never heard them really speak about it. And so the first one does have a partner, but no children. And so she thought about having children around 37, had a couple of miscarriages, and then in her early 40s, did a couple of rounds of IVF, but didn't mm-hmm. have an enough eggs. So the doctor suggested donor eggs or adoption and she just wasn't so keen on that. So in the end, she says she came to terms with it, Mm -hmm. kept herself very busy while everyone else was having kids. And she now says it wasn't meant to be and she's okay with it. But my other friend who really related to Bibi's story said that it is her greatest regret not having a partner and children. And unfortunately, freezing your eggs back then was so expensive. Well, it still is, but even more so back then, and she couldn't afford it. And she thought having a child on her own really wasn't an option because she didn't have enough support, because she'd lost both her parents. And she said, who would I call on in the middle of the night if I Mm. needed to? So to... Different versions. Do you know what I like the most about what this episode has done is that you have never asked the friend that said that it's been the biggest regret regret of her life. Yeah, that's you've never you've never spoken to her about that before because it's not a topic that you just bring up because you don't want to be insensitive. But BB actually made a really good point that she just wants the support. That's right. So now I'm more aware of it. And, and I have more understanding, so it's been good. Yeah. So when I was a young girl, I actually didn't have much interest in babies. I was always very much into the women's lib movement and the idea of burning bras, although that wouldn't have yep. been a good look yeah. with size D boobies. <laughs> but I ended up getting pregnant with you and raising children, you know, can be all shades from amazing to challenging as you go through all the bloody different (laughs) stages. But for me, you three girls are my daughters. Yes. And not only that, you are my greatest, most loyal level one friends. (laughs) So that's my take on it. Is that weird the way I said that? (laughs) No, I like it. So for anyone that hasn't listened to the loneliness episode, level one friends are the friends that you feel that you can tell you know, everything too and be your most vulnerable. So that's so nice, Mum. You're my level one <laughs> friend too. Yes. I'd be lost without you three. After speaking to Baby, I think the thing that struck me was that she said she always wanted to have kids, but it just didn't happen. And I think for me, I'm not sure yet because like I I don't know if I would feel that grief. Like I I, I don't know. It's never really been something I've desperately wanted. Like I haven't, I don't think about it. I don't see babies and desperately feel Mm. like a tug at my ovaries. Like it's not something that's like, I really need to do this. Like, and I think that's what is so different about each person's experience. That's right. We are going to go now to our dating story, which is one of my favorites. So here it is. Hannah, I just had to share with you a little like weird breakthrough I had today. I took myself out to get Froyo 
And like normally if I was by myself and I wanted to get Froyo, I'd walk in and get my Froyo and walk out and like go eat in my car. But I was like, no, I'm going to sit down. And I sat down and ate Froyo by myself. And I was like, this is so nice. I love Froyo so much. And this is a nice place. And I'm just eating it by myself. And I feel like cool and happy. And also, I would also like to do this with a boy. That would be cool. I could ask someone to go get Froyo with me. And we could sit there and eat Froyo. I don't know. It was just a weird thought. But I had a date with myself today and it was really nice. And that's all. <laughs>